Facebook famously determined that if a new member invited 10 friends within 14 days, they were hooked for life. So they focused religiously on driving the user experience to this key metric. If you apply this product-based approach to B2B sales, then you can identify those users that are ready to talk. And this method is known as the Product Qualified Lead, or PQL. So if you sell in a freemium, open source, or trial model, then the PQL method is critical to give your sales team visibility into who is ready to talk. So talk to your data team, or better yet, partner with Whaler's team of data scientists to develop a PQL model tailored specifically for your business. You'll be empowered by knowing exactly when a user is ready to convert. To see specific examples, go to getwhaler.com forward slash Andy. That's G-E-T-W-H-A-L-R dot com forward slash Andy. And as a bonus, if you sign up to learn more about Whaler and PQLs, then Whaler will send you their optimized two-page master services contract that you can leverage for your own business free of charge. It's time to accelerate. Hi, this is Andy. Welcome to another edition of Frontline Friday with my regular and very special guest, Bridget Gleason. Now, before we get to the show, Bridget and I have a favor to ask of you. Really appreciate it. If you took time right now to leave a review for this show on iTunes, and while you're there, click the button, subscribe to Accelerate, make sure you get Frontline Friday automatically each week. Also, we need to hear from you. More specifically, we need your sales questions. I mean, what can we answer for you? What challenges do you have that we can help you with? So go to accelerate.fm forward slash frontline and enter your question there. Each month, we're going to select one listener's question to be the question of the month. And the winner will receive a $50 Amazon gift card. So remember, go to accelerate.fm forward slash frontline to give us your question and maybe win 50 bucks. So Bridget, how are you today? Andy, Paul. Yes, that's me. You know how I'm doing. I'm doing great. I'm doing fantastic. Fantastic, right. No complaints. It would have been disappointing if you had left off the fantastic. I know, I know, I know. I was, I, I came out this way, so I'm grateful for that. And you, since we last spoke, you've been traveling. I did. I had, God, it seems so long ago, but it wasn't really that long. It was last week. I was in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv. And how are things there? Things are great. I love Tel Aviv. Yeah. Things are great. Yeah. Great weather, for one. Mm-hmm. Great weather. As you know, our company headquarters are there, so it's always go- good to go back and be with the people, mm-hmm. uh, connect with the team. I went to a wedding of one of the engineers, which was really fun. So it was a good trip. Oh, good. Very it's good. It's a great trip. And then yeah. enjoying sort of a late burst of fall or summer weather, if you will, up in Boston, Boston. Am I enjoying, is this summer? It doesn't feel like summer. It's cold. Oh, really? It's not that cold. No, it's not that cold. I shouldn't say it's cold. It's, you know, 60s. Oh, okay. But that's not summer. I think we snuck into 70 here in in New York today, but compared to, in fact, it started feeling like fall. Finally, we've had this long, hot October. I just did not like, I, you know, you're psychologically, I was ready for fall. And it's come. It's come. Yeah. So I, this morning, and out and running and through Central Park, one of my regular mm. routes, saw a bunch of lights. And actually, I took a picture. So I have to post it online. Is, is at 530 in the morning, there were 
the ice skating rink was already in operation. Uh, <gasps> Park, the Walman Rink. And ah, that's great. Yeah, all the little kids are out there with their figure skating coaches, you know, doing axles and whatever, right? I don't know all the, all the moves. I only remember the I remember, all the terms. I only remember the you terms the when terms. the Olympics come every four years. I sort of pick that up, but um, yeah, sort of kind of cool. So out there already doing their skating. That's wonderful. All right, so we have a guest today. Great. And fantastic. And joining us on the show is Phil Keen. He's the director of sales at Costello. And we're going to learn a little bit about Costello and talk about what they do. So, Phil, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's, this, is a, this is a pleasure, Bridget and you. Like, you guys put on a great show. I'm excited to be a part of it. Oh, great. We, well, enter- we entertain ourselves, if nobody else. Yeah, so, thank right. you. <laughs> well, that's all that matters. Like, so I, I have a podcast so. as well. well like, I, have, I have real sales talk with Sean Mitchell, and we started it. It's kind of, at the very least, it's just I get to talk to a bunch of much smart sales leaders, and, and I get to enjoy it. So, Oh, good. That's right. Well, I don't know if you'll get the smart part here, but uh, <laughs> you at least have one sales leader with Bridget. So, there you go. That's you your go. mission partially completed. So, there you go. All right. So, tell us a little bit about Costello and what you do. Yeah, so I lead the sales team here at Costello, and and we're a deal management solution. So what that means is we we help you online, really your frontline reps, your frontline managers, and your VPs and CROs on deals that are being worked uh, and that are in the pipeline, and hopefully identify gaps and and remove some of those roadblocks. And and we really do that as as a three-part solution. So one, we have a screen where you can manage all your opportunities and deals uh, and and see visually a way that uh, you might have gaps and deals that are being worked. So, um, and we, so what's a gap? Uh, a gap could be things like I don't have a compelling event or, or there is um, no access to signer yet or it could be even things like why, why would they buy? So it's why me? Why, why right now? Why should I purchase today? Um, those types of questions and, and thinking about that, that stuff that you would typically do in a pipeline review, those, those five or seven questions you usually use to interrogate your team. Uh, we want to give you a way that you can proactively see it in a visual way, uh, and we do that inside of our software. All right. So <laughs> interrogate the team. That always makes it sound like such a fun opportunity to, to yeah, get like together. It's, to it's really going to right encourage a lot of people to go into sales knowing that they're going to get <laughs> well, interrogated. But well, I think, yeah, it, it's, t- it's difficult because if you think about the world where, where sales exists today is that for so long we've we've done pipe interviews where – uh, you sit down and and everybody like bring all your deals to the table. And we're gonna I'm gonna ask you these five questions and here's all the things that I need to know about all these deals and and the problem is is the the real reason pipeline review should actually exist is to talk about ways to move those deals forward and and, and we want to give you a software that can hopefully see some of that a little bit sooner and be more proactive about that so you can you can remove some of those roadblocks. So where's this data coming from? Just your CRM system? Uh, great questions. So that's actually the first part of our solution that we started building, which is we actually guide you through conversations. So while you're on a call, uh, we give you a way to capture information as well as capture notes uh, and also guide yourself into what you should be saying. So if I was on Costello right now, it would be reminding me about what question might come up next, or it would say something like, um, hey, if you're up against a competitor, what, what should my response be? And 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 even simple things like uh, at the end of the conversation, remind yourself to talk about um, what the path to signature could look like or, or whatever your methodology is. We can really customize it to your world. And so sort of a guided selling. Yeah, guided selling. Yeah, definitely for people that are that are on the phone, they're making phone calls or or in front of customers and, and you want to be able to capture notes on your computer while you're while you're while you're talking to customers. 
but also guide yourself through the conversation. It, it's crazy. So the when I joined the team, the two founders had already done hundreds and hundreds of hours of interviews uh, with with sales leaders and, and AEs, and and they did with with different different VPs of sales from all walks of life, sometimes in terms of types of companies. And what they found was all these reps were locked solutions for uh, themselves. They were creating notepads where they write their questions down beforehand in their notepad, or or they would just take notes in their notepad, and none of that information would get back to Salesforce. Only the required fields would get filled out, or they'd be in like Google Docs or Evernote or all these different places capturing information, but none of that stuff really sank back to uh, the CRM in a really structured way. So I couldn't report against it. Uh, so it was really hard for me to grab that data. So that, that's a lot of what they start to see really early on. So they start to first find a solution that could solve the the ad hoc solution side. So they got that right. They could structure data in a, such a way that we can get it back into CRM and in Costello, where I can I can see gaps in the things that are that are actually being covered. And because we've structured it in a way, we can actually analyze that data. So that's the third part of our solution is we look at at things like when a competitor shows up, how likely am I can am I from an SDR to an AE to convert that. Or things like if I have two problems solved instead of one problem solved, how often are we going to win that deal? Um, we're, we're looking at a lot of those, a lot of different data points uh, to be able to look at conversion rates and, and information. Okay, Bridget, any questions? I think it's it sounds really interesting. Um, who's using it? So we 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 have a ton of customers. So really, it's. Customers that typically have more than 15, more than 20 reps, up to a couple hundred uh, that are usually on Salesforce. Uh, it's just the, the best integration that we have. So most of our customers are using it, just like most customers that are using CRM or using Salesforce. A lot of tech-based companies. So tech, tech companies are largely inside sales, a little more forward-thinking. Um, things that we look for as we disqualify customers are people that have a process and have a documented process or like a playbook of sort. Uh, put together. So we need that as a kind of a requirement because it just makes it easier for implementation, just makes it easier for for the lift and the, the manager's usually already thinking that way. Uh, and the second thing we're looking for is somebody that has a VP of sales that wants to actually enforce that process and put it in play. And and that's often not the case, which is weird uh, enough that, that we've seen a lot of sales managers out there that are that are um, hesitant to to really manage their team and 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 get their team to follow the, a really strict process. And, and and we fit anywhere walked a life of like, hey, here's a framework you have to work within. You can have freedom to how you get to these 10 things versus no, here's the playbook. Like you have to follow this playbook and, and cross your T's and dot your I's a certain way. And you said you prefer the latter. Uh, we, don't, it, it, we don't really prefer the latter, but the latter we've seen a lot of success with early, right? So, so those, the- I mean, there is on, in your, on your website, your material, there's this sort of seemingly emphasis on sales methodology. I mean, you talk about yeah. what if reps consistently followed your sales methodology or execute your sales methodology. And so it seemed like you're sort of making a point about sales methodology. Yeah. So and we've also seen that's another thing we look for is that people that are trained or at least have a process of, of things like, how do I ask questions in a way that gets the information that I need? Like that's a really good indicator that they're sophisticated enough. Um, to, to think the way that we think, or, or even even the sense of there's a lot of training out there that just doesn't stick, like that that it's really hard to follow it, or whenever that training disappears, there's not good habits that are created. So for us, we want to give you a way that we can really believe in the methodology that you did, test it, 
analyze the data, see what works, and then make it your own and, and continue to follow that and create good habits. And that's a lot of what Casella does by guiding you through those calls is we really put it in your world. And it's very custom to your world and your methodology and your process. And, and we're really, really able to um, be pretty flexible when it comes to that. So, but if you have a sales methodology and a sales process and you, you want to enforce that process, you're a good fit to be a customer most times. So, Phil, you said that there are companies that aren't a good fit. And you said there are some VPs of sales or managers that don't want to enforce a methodology. Why? Yeah, so I, I think it's not it's not that they don't want to. I think it's that they either don't know how. So I think it's, it's three different things. So, so I think we, we, we promote managers sometimes uh, often too early without giving them the skills to be a manager. So they're the top performing rep and we make them a VP of sales or we make them a director of sales and we haven't taught them leadership skills. And that's not just sales. It's all uh, walks of life and all different types of management roles. But sales, I've seen it a lot. Um, I think people are often afraid to uh, manage a lot of their lone wolves and, and they don't know how to manage the, the middle of the pack or they don't manage the middle of the pack. They usually often focus on top performers or the lowest on the totem pole performers. But if they just focus their time more on the middle of the pack, they would actually get a bigger lift. Uh, and then the third thing we've actually seen is that they just don't know what to coach on sometimes. So those are factors that play into not being a great fit. And we can coach you through some of that. It's just trying to figure out um, the people if you think about who's a perfect fit for us or the people that can come to us with a documented book that says, here's what I do, here's how we do it, here's how I handle all these objections, here's all the things we're working on, and then we structure it in a way in Costello that makes it so their team can follow it. So can I ask a question about sales methodologies? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know we're not talking about it per se, but you know, we're sort of touching on it. So, so if you look at if you look at the data, quote unquote data, right? And I'm putting it in, in air quotes here is because, yeah, there's a variety of, of research reports out about sales performance, sales productivity, which, yeah, we have to take with a grain of salt because largely self reported results that come back in, right? Even CSO Insights, you know, fairly comprehensive in terms of number of companies, but self reported. Um, so, you know, you have to take that a little bit with a grain of salt. But, but, yeah, if if we if we accept to a certain degree that that you know only fifty percent of of sales reps are making quota, and uh, if it the, to alluding to what you talked about, with Phil, before the managers are sort of just paying attention to the top performers and the the real laggards. So, you know, we've got this eighty twenty Pareto distribution. You know, twenty percent of our reps develop, developing eighty or delivering eighty percent of our business. If that's the case, can we sort of make a statement that sales methodologies really don't work then? Because no, 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 I don't think so. So if you really think about it, sales methodologies are usually often put together by somebody that's built this process and they've seen it work over a certain time frame. But, but I can think you say it's problem- working if only 20% of them, or 50% even, the max, if only 50% are, are using it to su- succeed at a, by a common definition of success? Are they, are they really working? The people that are top performers have a process. So whether they tell you that or not, so other conversations I've had with top performers performers, lone wolves, they have, and even people that are top performers that follow a very strict methodology, I'm talking the top 1%, the top even 5%, they follow a process every single time. And they know what they're trying to find on every single phone call. And they know the process of how they identify gaps. And they're, they're good at that. 
Sure, and there is a methodology behind it. Well, but it's their methodology. I'm talking about you know these sort of blanket methodologies well, that come I, out and train, and because I'm my experience, yeah, you know, forty years now managing salespeople is that yeah, you know, top performers they've got their own process. Maybe I mean they, they, a lot of them learned it from somebody though, so it came from a sales manager who maybe saw Zig Ziglar thirty years ago, or it's it's somebody that if it's somebody from me, right? I I'm a Sandler guy. So I've learned it from Sandler. I was a top performing person because I, I dedicated myself to learning the process and I leaned into it and I didn't know the process works. And I actually think if you can get people to follow the process a little bit tighter and then you analyze the data to see it's working and it can guarantee it's working, you can see big lifts. Like we've seen customers go from like an SDR team conversion rate go from 7% to 13% to 25% in 40 days. And that's over the entire team. And we've also seen customers where once they start to apply the methodology, their conversion rate to get to the stage that they need to get to, that they, they know they win most deals that they get to that stage, go up dramatically. And, and even to have the ability to look at, if, if I just follow the process a little bit tighter, I can scale and make this better. But if I just get my team to get a little bit better at finding earlier in the process that there, there's actually a legal process for me to go through overcome that hurdle er earlier like you can figure out why you're losing deals it, and the methodology itself so think about like sandler there's there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of reps out there that have used it and have been successful with it like i've sat in classes i still sales train today or go go to sales training i sat in a class and watched a guy come back and say hey i tried the pain funnel for the first time and i'm about to close a seven-figure deal because of it sure so i know it works like they've seen it but it's how do you apply that to a mass well, Right, but right. So I'm saying that in sort of the bigger sense is, you know, can you make an argument that something really works if, you know, half the population doesn't achieve their goals? But it, do, but it, do we think that they're not hitting their goals because they're not following the process or following the methodology? They, I don't know. That's, I mean, it's it's not an easy question. I'm just and I'm playing devil's advocate yeah, yeah. here because yeah, absolutely because you know, there's articles being written, things I've read this week about. Um, Sort of about the same thing as is is you know where should you be devoting your your efforts you know that's your top performers you know how can we improve what I call the middle class of sales you know that right. middle group how can we how can we yeah companies going to benefit if we can improve them five percent you know the the yep. overall lift to the but it you know it never happens and and we apply these methodologies and we apply uh, process and unless you know, we uniformly say, you know, you as a sales manager, you know, you're you're a failure because only fifty percent fifty percent of your people hit quota. Right. Um, you know, there's all these moving pieces. How do we know which ones are really the ones that are working or aren't working? Yeah. I, I that's that, the magic that's yeah. that's the million dollar question. I think that uh, that we've struggled with. I mean, Andy like you said, you've been doing this for a long time. I've been doing it for a long time. Even as I'm listening to this conversation of the back and forth between the two of you, I think about my own team and I'm big on process and methodology. We also use Sandler here. Um, and I do think it's not a panacea. A methodology is not a panacea. Following a process, it's not going to mean everybody hits their number because I think you've got the, the human element, and I even see variations on my team and people who work harder and follow it more closely and study it more um, intently. Uh, intently. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, I knew you were searching for assiduously. But I was searching. I, I was going to say assiduously, but thank you. That's a better <laughs> word. Um, 
So I think it is, I, I'm, I guess I'm also thinking about if it were in this framework that it were always, um, like guiding them through like, uh, Costello, I'm, I'm thinking about how that would work. Definitely having prompts is helpful. Yeah. I think sales is also very much people buy from people and you can follow a process, but if you're not able to genuinely create rapport and genuinely be curious and genuinely have some human connection, those are the reps I don't think do as well, even if they follow a very strict process. So I think there's still that human element, well, you, which is hard to capture in a yeah. tool. Well, and you, yeah. you know my belief on this is, is and we've talked about this on on Fridays before is you know, I, I trotted out the quote from uh, Harrington Emerson, who was a turn of the century, well, t- turn of the 20th century uh, business theorist, but who's, yeah, well quoted. And he says, he basically says, you know, talks about the difference between methods and principles. He says, you know, as, quote, as to methods, yeah. there may be a million and then some, but principles are few. The man who grasps principles can successfully select his own methods. The man who tries methods ignoring principles is sure to have trouble. And I think, to me, that is the fundamental issue with sales, is that, as, as you were talking about, Bridget, you know, the, the basic principles, you know, like my BALD, B-A-L-D acronym, is, mm-hmm. is you know, how, do we, how do we get people to master these first principles of selling? Because then, you lay a methodology on top of it, there's a foundation to help them succeed. But, but I think we push people into these methodologies without teaching them the basic principles of selling and you know, how to engage and connect and build trust with, with humans. Um, and I, I always think back to this example of uh, sort of analogy that I remember some friends who are airline pilots talk about is, you know, we'd be sitting around talking and whenever they're in the news or something about a, a plane crash in a, you know, a developing country, you know, a pilot flew, at a, flew a plane into a mountain. Mm. He'd always say, the friend would always say, well, that was avoidable. He said, but the problem was is those pilots don't know how to fly. I said, what do you mean? They're, they're at the, the controls of a 767. He says, no, no, no. He said they're trained in a simulator. And they can fly the simulator, which is like flying the plane. But they've never flown the small planes, right? They've mm-hmm. never gone out there and stalled and you know, so on. Because commercial airplanes, you know, at least when the U.S. airlines, oftentimes the first time a pilot flies like a, gets upgraded to fly a bigger plane, the first time he actually flies the plane is with passengers in the back because the simulators are so good. So he's saying that you know, they hadn't been in the military. So when they got into trouble, they didn't know how to fly. So they crashed. And I think we have that same sort of issue in sales. Is, is Yeah, we've got methods, but people don't understand the fundamental principles. Yeah. And that's, that's actually something we've seen with, with our customers when they put Costello in place is you'll get, you'll get a you – it's not a script. It's just guided selling. It's, it's prompting you, like thinking about things that you should say or things you should talk about. And what we've found is it gets you back to the level of, hey, if I'm putting question one here, if I'm putting prompt one here, what do I want to find out? Like, why do I want to ask this question? Like, what, are, what ultimately are I trying to build upon here in the conversation? And, and we're forcing people into that thought process of thinking through step by step by step of like, what could be the potential outcome? Why would I have the conversation? Why would that be valuable for them? And it naturally happens when you start thinking about it and you start to put together templates for your calls about all right, what's the thing that we want to overcome here? And, and, and it's really fun. Like even the SDRs that we have here 
here. I have one that, that his name is Sam and, and he and I are at a level where it's even thinking about like, why would you ask that question? Like, what are you looking to understand in that question? Like, mm. How could you phrase it to get the answer that you like, but also do it in a very tactful way. And, and he's, it's, he's got to this really healthy mix. It's actually fun. Like we, right before I jumped on and I, I was joking, I was like, you got time for one more phone call. Can you get it? Can you set a meeting? And he actually did set a meeting. It was just kind of just one of those, uh, the things that happen where it all kind of comes together at the right time. But it was really a really good mix of like he started off and followed his his template that he was thinking about and then knew when to break it because he's a good he's a good sales guy. We hire salespeople. Like we hire people that are good at building relationships. That's what we do as salespeople. That's who we typically hire. The problem is, is most salespeople don't think the other direction. They don't think about process oriented type stuff. So if we can help salespeople that aren't typically process people be more process driven, it kind of brings the both worlds together at the same time. And, and, and it's fun to watch somebody like Sam who can, who can break a script or break a template immediately and get into the conversation. And then all of a sudden he's talking about his college and the college that this guy went to. And then it's like, Oh, back to my script and back to my, my conversation, my template. And I'm still getting the things I want. Like it's amazing to watch somebody that can bounce in and out of that and still build what you're saying, the relationship, but also still get the things he needs in a call that gets to the place where like, wow, I'm really excited about talking talking about this like that that's a really it's a it's a skill it's, and it's something you can hire for but it, we give them the process in, to, in front of you so you remember to follow it and you're still still stay on track of the call so how do you hire for it i think you hire for salespeople the same way you always have there's skills that you want there's grit that you need to hire for and you're going to make bad hires it happens i, I think at the same time that most people don't start an organization and get like just to be demotivated like there's something along the not way not typically happens. yeah not i mean not typically they don't start the organization thinking they want to leave right away. Like there's something that happens along the way and there's probably a reason why. And I think if you invest in them, if you invest in your people, and I think that's a big thing. If you don't invest in training and development and give them a path, like why would you, like, why would you want to be in an organization that doesn't invest in you? It doesn't really just thinks of you as just a widget inside of the organization. Like, and that does happen. But I think that, that's that's what that's what the day's working class, the younger working class, the younger salespeople want is they want they want to feel the purpose, they want to feel the reason, they want to feel that you care about them in a certain way that that you're investing in them to grow and and, and you're giving them a path to grow into as well. Like there's a lot to that, um, and and it I would say people are people are actually relatively good at finding the right type of people, but there's something that happens along the way and you're going to miss it sometimes. But we typically do things that, as leaders that disengages them. Well, yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> at least one study that had come out last year had said that the primary reason salespeople turn over is because of their manager. Right. But I mean, I, it's, yeah, it's a tough, a tough scenario because, I mean, you're saying all the right things, but we also know that in this burgeoning world of inside sales and so on, that the SDR position is, you know, the average tenure's you know what just barely over 12 months now it's oftentimes considered is it over 12 months i think it is it's I mean, it, it is over 12 months it's 1.3 wow. years according to the bridge group right so it's uh, it's getting it's up there but like my number is 18 months like if you can't be in a BR sure, for 18 months you're probably not going to fit in your organization like but you got to be upfront with them i th- i think what we do as managers we're often afraid to have the tough conversation up front that could help overcome that in the future like if you don't tell an sdr up front that it's going to take you 18 months for promotion and and you also have to back it up why it actually happens that way 
Like, so I remember as an SDR, I, I remember interviewing, this is 10 years ago, but I remember interviewing to be an SDR and they're like, it's a year and we won't even talk about it after that. We won't even have a conversation with you after that. And then after 12 months, then we'll have the conversation about your next promotion. But I didn't know why. And I remember leaving organizations like, I'm not actually going to even apply or like try to keep going down this process because I'm, I'm, I'm I have no chance to grow. But if you slow down and tell them why you want them to, to do it for 12 to 18 months or why you need them to do it for two years and give them a path of how to make that next step, like most people are going to be engaged to that, but you have to be upfront about it. And I think you can't get somebody where like, yeah, you're going to get promoted really quickly. And then all of a sudden it's, it's 24 months later and they still haven't been promoted. That happens way too often. Well, what about creating a position though that says, yeah, if we got somebody really good at this and they just want to do this, meaning be an SDR, why can't you have a five-year or 10-year SDR? They're hard to find. Uh, Bridget, I don't know if you've found a lot of those. Well, no, those are really hard to find. Well, they're hard to find because we get rid of people after 12, 18 months if they're not making the grade or if we, you know, if they don't want to be promoted or they don't want to be a manager or don't want to be a field rep. I, uh, I, think, I, think some, I think some of it, are you talking, Andy, about why don't we keep them in the SDR role? If somebody wanted years? to be and they were really good at it, why not let them stay and do that? Because I just don't think there are that many that want to stay and do that. Well, but I think the job. What if we started to say, let's recruit for those people? I don't know if they're the same type of people. So I think if people that we typically want for the SDR role are going to be more sales oriented people. They're more people oriented, more communication driven. And a lot of times they're young. So we're hiring kids that are often first job out of college to be SDRs. Sure. Haven't been in the professional world before. Sure. And even if you found somebody that's more tenured, like there, uh, there is SDRs I do know of that want to be a really good SDR for 10 years. Yeah, I do too. But, but it's very, very rare. And the, pe- the people that I do, they're in a very comfortable position at a pretty large organization, and they're making a number that most startups can't hire for. So like I, they're, the number that they're making is, is what most AEs are making at small startups. So for them, it's, it's I couldn't afford them at a small startup to get somebody like, like that to come work for me for 10 years. Yeah, and I only bring it up. By virtue, and this is unfortunately we're running running out of time, but but is for people to think about. Okay, we've got this model that we're building for inside sales, and at least in certain segments, you know, at the end of the day, our close rate on qualified prospects in our pipeline is really low, in in an absolute sense compared to business to business sales and other other industries and segments. And that, to me, that's going to have to change to make this model sustainable. And so the changes, I think, start, you have to rethink everything, right? And maybe instead of just using SDR positions as feeders for account executives or, or customer success managers or something like that, account managers, is maybe there's, maybe there's a role where we get people that are even more proficient at this job, do a better job at qualifying those coming into the pipeline so that at the end of the, we get to the, the most important conversion rate into an order, that's much higher. Yeah, and I think there's things you can put in place. There's micro-promotions you can do to extend it a little bit. And, and when I say micro-promotion, I mean like go from uh, like a, a junior SDR to an SDR to a senior SDR to a team lead or to an enterprise SDR that only does very strategic things. And a lot of times it's not even about being promoted to being a closer. It's about being promoted to a position where I can learn new skills. So for you, it's, it's what, how can I give them new skills in this next micro promotion that keeps adding to their, their skill set so that, and they feel like they're continuing to grow. Uh, and, and that's a, 
that's a that's a winning formula. If you get it right, you also have to have a mature enough organization that that works at. So, okay, well, perfect. Unfortunately, Phil, we're having a great conversation, but we do have to stop here. Uh, tell folks how they can connect with you and learn more about Costello. Yeah, so you can go go to our website. It's and Costello a n d c o s t e l l o dot com, uh, or you can come find me on LinkedIn. It's Phil Keen. It's P H I L L. Keen, K-E-E-N-E. You can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, I'm pretty easy and pretty accessible there. Uh, happy to have a conversation, chat sales. Like I'm a sales nerd. I sell sales tech to salespeople. It's a hobby of mine. Sales is, is a fun craft, and, and I love to talk sales and sales technology. So feel free to reach out, and let's talk. All right. Perfect. Good. Well, Phil, it's been a pleasure having you. Bridget? Yeah, thank as, you. As always. Definitely. Great to talk to both of you. Oh, thank yeah. you. So let's do it again next week. Uh, I'll be here. All right. All right, Phil, thanks a lot. Friends, thank you for joining us. Bridget, as always. As always. Have a good one. Bye.